as our brother will be coming and preaching to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I was away this week. I was at, out of town at a family funeral uh, mourning the death of my beloved cousin Mark. And I'm very thankful for our brother Kim Brinkley labor and to bring the Word of God to us this morning, let me encourage you to eagerly and joyfully receive this message this morning. Brother, would you please come? Well, good morning. Our passage this morning is going to be taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. I'm going to turn this on. Now the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Let's pray once again and ask the Lord to be with us during the preaching of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you now, Lord, we are anticipating and hearing from you, and we ask that you would help us to focus on your word which you have for us today, that you give us hearts that are attentive and sensitive to your spirit's working. In your name we pray, amen. Well, the cat's out of the bag, right? If you haven't picked up on it yet, this is a sermon on giving, and I feel kind of compelled to give a disclaimer at first, at the beginning, that this is not something that Pastor Nathan put me up to. Uh, it's actually something that I wanted to do. It's something that I've been wanting to speak on for uh, a while. And, and Pastor Nathan, he gave me his blessing to go forward with it. But then as I was thinking about it, I was, you know, why do I feel like that we have to make a disclaimer at the beginning, almost to make an apology for, for saying this? I don't think it's hard to conclude that one of the main reasons is that there's just so much negative connotations that come with talking about giving. 
Because we live in a culture that, you know, we've been brought up to believe on the American dream and to make a, a good living for yourself and to try to, to build that up. But there's so many things that whittle that away, isn't there? I mean, right off the bat from your pay stub, you get taxes that are taken off. There's bills that stack up. There's tuition to be paid. There's expenses that we don't expect. And all these things are one in your, on your, perhaps on your, your budget and your, your line items. You have all these things. And, and then you might have one that says tithing. Or you might have one that says giving. Or perhaps benevolence. Uh, and it's just, at times you think that's just one more thing. It's hard to keep that one populated at times. It's easy to justify not entering any amounts in this. And as believers, we, we know that we should. And even as members here of CRBC, you know that you made a vow as a member to support the church financially. And yeah, sometimes it just feels like it's just another box to check off in our Christian duty. Sometimes we feel like Maybe we're afraid to give because I just, I don't know if I can make all ends meet at the end of this month if I were to do this. But this morning, I really want to focus not so much on us. I want to focus on God as being the ultimate cheer giver. Which is why we're going to actually start at the end of this passage in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the summary and the foundation of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians about when he's been talking to them about giving since the beginning of chapter 8 through the end of chapter 9 here. And so what I want you to walk away with today is this. Because God is the ultimate cheerful giver in his son Jesus Christ, we then are free to cheerfully and to generously give to the church and to others. And we're going to look at three statements here that basically enable us to, to do just that. We're going to look at this morning, God's character is our model in verses 6 and 7. Then we're going to look at God's generosity is our assurance in verses 8 through 11. And then lastly, the gospel is our motivation from verses 12 to 15. So let's start then with God's character is our model, verses 6 through 7. Just a little bit of context here. Um, Paul is, has been talking to the Corinthians. They had vowed to give a gift, and perhaps maybe it had been maybe a year or so since they had done that, and, and he's going to be coming to them, and very pastorally, he, he doesn't want this to be an exaction from them. He wants the, to be willingly given and so he's being delicate with this and so he comes here to verse 6 and he's basically giving them reasons and encouragement as to why to do this and so he immediately likens the, the corinthians gift to agrarian language which is something that all of them could have understood because god in his infinite grace and his wisdom he created the concept of sowing seed right giving something away only for it to come back uh, even more. He says, the more that you sow, the more that you're going to reap. And so this analogy starts to show them already to, to give generously. And just like farmers shouldn't expect to, to reap a large harvest if they don't sow generously, it would be foolish to expect to just do a little bit and then to get a huge return. <clears throat> so what this is implying, too, in this first couple of verses is that 
there's actually a right way and a wrong way to give. Now, I made reference to, to verse number five, or verse five, here where Paul is wanting the Corinthians to give their financial gift willingly, not as an exaction, not as something that they feel like is being demanded by Paul for a service. Now, verse six starts in with sowing sparingly, uh, indicating that, that that that's actually wrong too because it's holding back that which could actually be given but sowing bountifully rightfully results in even more harvest even more blessing so the point like when we when we don't give when we give very little paul is saying it would almost be just like a farmer who would foolishly have all kinds of seed and decide you know i no i'm not going to plant anything because i want to be able to keep that and say that i have something well, this would be absurd, and, and we know that because everyone knows that you have to release seed in order to get more seed. <clears throat> but as silly as it sounds, the farmer here would not have the right understanding of giving is actually sowing and not giving something and without anything coming back. And so there is a note that rightful giving is, uh, is here. And then in verse 7 it says that the giving is to be a, a rightful purposeful and thought out sowing. Look at verse 7. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So it's actually wrong there for it to give reluctantly or to give compulsively in a way that would cause us later to regret that we've done that. There's a lack of joy that comes from that. But when verse 7 also says, decided in his heart, it implies we're not only just thinking about this, not just by ourselves, but we're going to our Father, and we're asking him in prayer for wisdom, and asking for that heart of generosity, a heart that is cheerful. In short, it's asking for God to make us more like him in his character when it comes to, to being generous. Now, exactly what do you mean by being generous? Paul here he doesn't actually give a command here from the Lord as to how much the Corinthians should give, but he says rather, hey, this is something that you have to decide in your own heart out of a love for God and his people and not out of regret. And so our giving then is to be from a willing heart with an amount that's been well thought through based on how much the Lord has given. Ten bucks. It may not seem like a whole lot to some, but to the one who cheerfully gave it, it might be sowing bountifully based on what God had given them. <clears throat> and for that, God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver if not for the fact that God himself is the cheerful giver? God would never expect us or love something of us that he wasn't already that himself. And have you ever considered that God is cheerful when he gives good gifts to his people, because he is. An example is uh, Luke 12, 32. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Aren't you glad? No, actually, scratch that. Aren't you overjoyed that God didn't sow sparingly when he gave us his son, when he redeemed us? Aren't you glad that he wasn't reluctant when he did so? Because had he done that and he left 
up to us some of the debt that we had to pay, there would be no harvest. There would be no hope for us because not one sinner would be able to stand. There's none righteous. No, not one. There would be no love of God for sinners because there would be no sinners to love. But we see from this that God, he is the ultimate sower. Sowing the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world, reaping a harvest of believers from whom the Father would give him. Romans 5, 17 says this, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the one given for the redemption of many. And in light of this, in the light of God's character, the question here is not how much should I give, but here it's how should I give? And it's cheerfully, willingly, without regret. You see, the plan of salvation that was determined by God from the beginning of time was purposely given. It was cheerfully given out of a deep, deep love for the people of God. And this should motivate us to cheerful giving out of a sincere gratitude for God for all that has been given to us in Christ, both in this life and in the life to come. You might think, I hear you, man, but I'm already pretty tight in my budget. I mean, how would I make ends meet if I tithe or I give to others? I just don't, I don't see that. I like what John Calvin said in this. He was quoted as saying, let this doctrine be deeply rooted in our minds. That whenever carnal reason keeps us back from doing good through fear of loss, we may immediately defend ourselves with this shield, but the Lord declares that we are sowing. It's almost like we're supposed to go from this mindset of, I might not have enough to make ends meet this, this month, so I better hold back on giving, to, I don't know if I have enough to make it this, this month, so I better give more, so I can sow more, so I can get more from the Lord. It's, it's a total trust thing in this, but... This generosity that Paul here is speaking about has to be done in love, without regret, according to ability that he has given us. So you might not be in a position this morning to tithe much, if, not, if anything. Sometimes we are on the receiving end of that, right? Sometimes we have an abundance of ability. But what matters most is having a heart like our Father being like his character, desirous to be generous, and praying the Lord would allow us to do so. Why? Because again, because God is the cheerful giver through his son, Jesus Christ, we are freed. We are freed to then be cheerful and generous in our giving. And so we've seen then, this giving is modeled by the character of God, and now Paul goes on to give an additional encouragement to dispel the doubts and the fears that sometimes come with giving. And so this brings us then to our second point. God's generosity is our assurance, as seen in verses 8 through 11. Now you'll note in verse 8, it starts immediately with the, with the word and, signifying that, hey, what he's about to say here is an additional reason 
to cheerfully give. And that is that God himself gives generously. And we see that in three ways in which he does that. Um, First, verse 8, we know since God has created all things, right, and he's over all things, he is able to make all grace abound to you. Mm, Stop, hang on, hold up. You just said, is able to. You, You didn't guarantee that, that all grace would abound to me. Yep, good call. And Paul says that on purpose. God is able, yes, but he is free to do, do so and choose whom and how and when and to what degree he will bless. Now, there, there is a sense, right, that all believers have received the grace of God in Christ. We know this out of Romans 5. But here Paul is pointing out a special mercy that at times comes to some, and not to others at various times. And that can go back and forth. But we know that this has to be true. Because if we were all guaranteed to have all grace abound to us at all times, then where would the recipients be? Who then would be overflowing with thanksgiving to God and glorifying him, as it says in verses 12 and 13? How could the giver then be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, if there was no one that needed to be given to. How can you be generous if there is no one to be generous to? You know, and, and this would might maybe be a good time to hit pause and realize the wisdom and the mercy of our God who orchestrates both of those whom he has called to be poor, those whom he has called to have an abundance. Hear me. Both are deeply loved. Both have been called to this. We need both. We should never look down on either one of these brothers because God has them exactly where he wants them to serve according to his purposes. So that means if you feel as though this morning that he has forgotten you because of your financial struggles, I would encourage you to please think again and take a new perspective. If you feel it's you who have acquired all of your wealth, on your own. I want you to think again and and take a new perspective on this because as we see later in our passage, those who are recipients end up playing a very vital role in giving God thanks, glorifying him, and praying for those who are giving. Both the giver and the recipient then are blessed by God. Both are needed for God's order and plan for giving. But note further that Paul is not wishing on the Corinthians to be abounding in wealth, but have just what they need in order to be free to give generously as God has given generously. Check out verse 8 again, where it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. All sufficiency could also be read having all contentment. And he says this because so that they might be self-sufficient in God's will, not lacking what they need for life and godliness, but if they choose to be content with what they need, not necessarily what they want, they will have plenty left over for the work of God. And this is where it gets a little tough, doesn't it? 
the lure of the extra things, that which is bright and glittery, the things that, um, that we enjoy, that we, we, we want extra of, um, sometimes those things <clears throat> compared with what needs to be given to others, that, that, that's, that's the struggle here. And that's what Paul is talking about. Giving is not to be an exaction. It's to be willing, lovingly giving, um, not out of reluctancy, but, but out of cheerfulness. And so you can feel a little bit of that here going on. This is where we seek God with wisdom, with an open hand, allowing him and asking him to transform us to be willing, to be generous, as he is to us. But to help with this, uh, in verse 9, Paul points us to Psalm 112, uh, verse 9. We we had that in the call to worship this morning. He uses this to underscore his point. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Well, who is the he here but Christ himself? A reading of this entire psalm, you'll see that this is a messianic psalm, not just describing a righteous man, but describing the righteous man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul describes this grace of Christ uh, back in 2 Corinthians, just a uh, chapter before in uh, chapter 8, that though Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be, become rich. A spiritual richness that comes through his, and so Christ and his enduring righteousness are given as motivation for our generous giving then to the poor. But second, also, God gives generously um, here in verse 10. We see when it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, these two phrases, uh, supplies the seed and the sower and the bread for food uh, and enlarging the harvest is actually taken from a couple of Old Testament passages. Isaiah 55.10, where God... Uh, which praises God as the one who supplies the seed and the bread for food. And then Hosea 10:12 is uh, that part where the uh, harvest for the blessing for those who sow righteousness. And so what Paul is doing is he's pointing the Corinthians to these two Old Testament passages as actually proof that God would not ignore their generosity, that he would actually richly bless the harvest, or you might say the reward or the, the fruit of their righteousness that their righteous deeds would not be look, overlooked or, or forgotten at all. This is also a matter of trust. But note, too, in verse 10, this verb has changed. It doesn't say now is able to supply. It's now will supply. And this is what we see in the third way that God gives generously. Uh, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Now, at first, this might seem to be a support for the prosperity gospel, right? Uh, but far from it. Uh, I really like what uh, Richard Pratt said in his commentary on this. He said the key to understanding this expression is the similar language that we see in 1 Corinthians 1, 5, and 7, where Paul is rejoicing that the Corinthians had been enriched in every way, in all their speaking, in all their knowledge, and that they weren't lacking any spiritual gift. And so this language is telling us that the riches of the Christian life before the return of Christ, 
are primarily then in the blessings of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's idea becomes clear here. If the, Chris, if the Corinthians gave generously, they could actually expect to reap spiritual uh, blessing, enrichment of their lives by the Spirit. And that they would be so blessed that they'd be able to then continue to be generous on every occasion to meet whatever need that they encountered with the rich ministry of the Spirit. So the point here is that God has cheerfully and, given, and, and generously given us all that we need in life, right? our material things on earth that we need. And he's given us all things for godliness, Christ, and his righteousness. He has promised to multiply that which he has given us to sow. He has promised to multiply the fruit of our righteousness in our giving. And so with all of these assurances that he has given to us, do you think that he's going to leave us high and dry when we generously give from that which he's given to us? And so in, in light of the gener- generosity of God, the question here then is not how much should I give, but from how much should I give? And this, this frees us because when we evaluate that which the Lord has given, that's all that he's given. And from that, we give. What has he blessed me with? From this is where I can purposely determine what I can give. And may he continue to bless us with more in order to be able to give more. So the understanding of how God generously has blessed his people with his inexpressible gift through his son, this helps us to trust him when we give back to him and to take him at his word. These verses here, then, Paul makes it pretty clear that giving generously to the poor in Jerusalem brought about many benefits, right? The needs of the poor would be met. Uh, The Corinthians themselves would be blessed. Their lives would be enriched. Paul and the Macedonians and the people who were with him would be greatly encouraged in giving thanks to God. And all these positive benefits are given to the Corinthians to motivate them to fulfill their early commitment to say, or to, to give their financial gift. But there's one more point which speaks to their motivation to give generously, and that is, lastly, the gospel is our motivation, from verses 12 to 15. Now, when the sower casts his seed onto the ground, right, it's, it's leaving his hand, it's, it's not going to come back, it's, it's gone. But he trusts that that which has been given is going to come back two, three, maybe fourfold, but here, Paul tells the Corinthians up front what's going to happen, even if they're not going to see it right away. Um, he starts at actually the end of verse 11. You'll note that it says, yes, you, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's not only those who have gone from being in a real need to now having their uh, needs supplied who are rejoicing, but it's those around who see that need being fulfilled, they're rejoicing as well. And so what is given to a few redounds in praises given by many to God for the work that he has done in them. And note that generous giving is a ministry of this service. It's not just writing a check. It's actually purposefully enabling further proclamation and spread of the gospel. 
And so our act, or our, our gifts and our giving is actually an act of ministering to the saints. And by a means of thanksgiving where God is, uh, is praised, he's, he's, he's glorified, and this is what's being reaped. And we might always see it. But we trust, as God's word indicates, that there is an overflowing of thanksgiving that results and is being produced. You see, giving and the gospel goes hand in hand. It's not, we, we, we listen to the gospel, we do the gospel, and then over here, oh yeah, we occasionally give. It, it, is, it goes hand in hand because cheerful and generous giving is the natural outworking of the work of Christ in us because we realize what's, what's been given to us. <clears throat> That's why we take an offering as part of our, our service here in, at CRBC. It's an act of worship. Which, by, which is showing us, or showing our gratitude of the generosity that's given to us, not only in Christ, but in all things that he has given us. And so the gospel motivates us to give to the furthering of it. Look at verse, verse 13. It says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Here Paul points out a couple of the aspects of their generous contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. One of those aspects is first Corinthians, if you do this, you will actually prove yourselves with your gift. Back in chapter 8, verse 8, Paul said that their gift that they had vowed would be a testing of the sincerity of their love. Because, yeah, it's, it's easy to pledge something, right? But Paul here is saying, yeah, uh, it, see it through to completion. You said you would do it. You're doing it in love. Fulfill your obligation. Fulfill your love and see it through to um, completion. And second, their contribution to the saints then gives evidence of their obedience to Christ. Because faith, we know, without works is dead. God is glorified in their sacrificial but willing obedience that comes from their confession of the gospel. You know, we're, we're kind of reminded here of Philippians 2.8. We're reminded that Christ was obedient for the sake of fulfilling the gospel even to the point of death so that we might be freed from the debt of sin that we owed. The gospel is our motivation to be generous because of this inexpressible gift in Christ that's been given to us. And what's the result of this? And what we see uh, that Paul and the Macedonians with him and the other churches are themselves amening their service uh, of ministry, glorifying God because of the generosity of this gift and how it would minister to the saints in Jerusalem. And Paul assures them, and, and actually he's assuring us as well, that we would be so encouraged by the work among the Corinthians that the recipients would actually pray, interceding on the giver's behalf. And so he sought to actually motivate the Corinthians with thoughts of how wonderful it would be that all around the world, Christians would be praying for them because of their generous gift. I mean, are we not encouraged when we hear about the prayers that are uttered for us from the missionaries that we support? Like the brothers in Cuba, Hotnia, Sam Gunnup and TK over in South Korea, Matt Daniel Jensen in Thailand. As verse 14 indicates, because of our generosity in this, 
in giving, which is actually evidence of the surpassing grace of God that he mentions here, there is actually unity. There is a oneness of mind, a longing for one another with prayers for, for each other. You know, in God's providence, uh, Pastor Nathan and I, we weren't able to be at the pastor's fraternal or the uh, general assembly this year. Uh, we feel the loss of fellowship and rejuvenation that comes from dwelling with these other brothers under one roof for a time. Um, we long to be with them. <clears throat> but uh, why is that? Because they have supported us prayerfully and in the past, financially, in the past, and, and we at times have had the blessing of doing the same for them. We are partners with them in the gospel, and we long to be with them. So in light of the gospel, then, being our motivation, our, the question here is not, uh, how much should I give, but, man, how much can I cheerfully give? Almost as if you're saying, Lord, how much will you allow me to give for the furthering of the gospel? And it's that different mindset of earthly versus heavenly perspective on these things. But God cheerfully gave us Christ, who in turn, he gave us his life to save and to keep us by his Holy Spirit. And so this is what motivates us to generously give, to assure that the gospel continues to go out locally and throughout the rest of the world. It's a testimony to the rest of the world of the love that we have for one another. We, we see this in Acts 2 about them having all things in common and, and both the, the rich and the poor <clears throat> and having them be glad and generous in their hearts, praising God. And the world sees this. <clears throat> what a contrast this is to the social divisions that we see existing in our culture today, but also, man, what a beautiful picture of the beginning of the church. And it's a great reminder to us of the joy and of the blessings and of the testimony of the grace of God when we have the opportunity to give and love on one another. Now, I totally can understand if some of you might think, hey, no, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I, I get that. I, I'm on board, but <clears throat> I, I just really don't have all that much to give, to be honest. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I get that. And some of you are in school, right? Um, some are uh, in tight financial situations. And I completely understand because I have been there before as well, longing to give more than I actually could. But hey, sometimes... Yes, we're the recipients of good gifts in various seasons, but we can also give of ourselves in other ways which brings glory to God. Just yesterday, I longed to be with you who came to help during the church workday, um, but it was necessary for me to devote what time I had left over to preparing for preaching. But nonetheless, I heard multiple reports of how a lot of people came, actually over twice is what I thought. And this outpouring and love and support that was given, which I know was a sacrifice of time. I mean, it's given up a part of your Saturday for, for this. This, though, resulted in others and me giving thanks to God, praising God for all of you. And what an encouragement. If it was an encouragement to my soul, I know that had to have been encouragement to the rest of the church. And so when we understand that God is the cheerful giver, <clears throat> through the gift of his son, we are free then to give up ourselves generously, cheerfully to the church and to one another, whether it be of our time or of our finances.
And so, in conclusion, we end with that doxology that we began with. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This, people, is the, the summary, the motivation, the conclusion of this whole passage of chapter 8 and chapter 9. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So we see from this that salvation is the gift of God. That Paul also expresses that this gift of Christ is inexpressible. And I mean, too much do we compare it to, honestly. All gifts that we've received are all gifts that we give. We can put some type of value on that, but the gift of Christ is beyond value. Or at the very least, it has eternal value of which all nations of all times who are in Christ will gather around the throne, praising him for this for all eternity. And that doesn't get old. Spurgeon gave an entire sermon on just this one verse. I wish you could go into it more, but he explains just how inexpressible Christ is in his person, in his condescension, his death, especially his glory. And for this gift that God has so generously and cheerfully given to us, we are then to render unto him our most sincerest thanks. Well, perhaps there's some here this morning who cannot give thanks to God for this inexpressible gift. Some of you hardly give him a second thought. <clears throat> and you can't be thankful for something that you don't think about or you don't meditate upon. Perhaps you're not thanking God this morning because even though you know the truth, you keep putting off receiving God's gift of salvation. Where are you at on this, this morning? Will you say in your heart, yeah, no, I, I don't care about God. I don't care about the gift. These are hard questions to ask. And it's understandable why you'd want to avoid them, but hear me, today <clears throat> is another yet gift of God. Hearing those questions is actually a gift of mercy. <clears throat> The gift of another opportunity this morning to lay down your pride, your own righteousness, to confess your sin, to receive this inexpressible gift in Christ. But for the believer, the assurance of salvation in Christ, it's promised in God's word, wells up in our soul to give our hearts overflowing with thanksgiving to God and there's a lot of ways of expressing that gratitude to God. And today we noted in our giving as one of those ways, or we noted that giving is one of those ways. For real thankfulness isn't just in word only, but it's in action too. Thereby proving our thanks to God. So my hope is that you've been given from the word of God this morning a renewed perspective on the blessing of giving. That God and his generosity in graciously giving us his son has motivated you to first seek the, the kingdom of God and to give willingly, to give cheerfully. To find yourself less and less worried about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear because we know that our loving father knows that you need these things. Again, not going to leave you high and dry. 
but that you will more and more put your trust in him and giving to him to see what fruits, fruits will be reaped from that, to see the blessings of giving. In short, that he would transform your mind to find your treasure more in heaven and less on the things of earth because we know in Luke 12:34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So may the Lord be pleased to make Christ our treasure as we exclaim with Paul this morning, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, what shall we say when we, when we have a time of considering all the blessings and gifts that you have given to us for life, for godliness, all summed and wrapped up in the work and the person the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we give great thanks for your inexpressible gift. It's unspeakable. Lord, we will never be able to receive a greater gift than receiving Christ. This is for all eternity. All other gifts, Lord, that we have fade. And Lord, in a sense, the gifts that we give to one another, in a sense, fade. But the effects of them continue. Lord, we thank you that Christ and his righteousness, that which he, which he gave, Lord, his acts and his righteousness continue to endure for all eternity. And for that, we will praise you for at all times, especially when we're up in heaven. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your generosity. And we thank you that you are the ultimate cheerful giver to us. In your name we pray. Amen.